Welcome to Listening to Paint Try with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Today we're going to discuss how we gain inspiration for creating bases and dioramas. And if you hear it in the background, that's my next door neighbor mowing his lawn. So Mike, where do you get your inspiration for making your bases and dioramas? On August 31st, 1888, around 3.40 a.m., the body of Mary Nichols was found, beginning a 10-week reign of terror in London's East End by one of the most infamous serial killers in history. Known to the world as Jack the Ripper, the murderer set off a chain of events that would change the world as it was known back then and still reverberates to this day. There is a consensus that there are five canonical victims, Mary Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Kelly. All five women lived in London's Whitechapel and due to desperate times had resorted to prostitution to survive. Whoa, whoa, Mike, Mike. What what in the world are you talking about? This is supposed this isn't a true crime podcast. Our listeners want to know how to be better, braver, and happier painters. So what's going on? Well Dan, you know, we both love horror, true crime, and there is absolutely a tie in with our hobby. But let me finish and I think you'll see where I'm going. Okay, I'll give you a couple minutes. The East End of London was not the best place to live in 1888. Up until around 1888, London was a center of global economic power. Competition, however, was now rising from places like America and Germany, and these began to undermine London's power and finances. The start of this economic decline caused mass unemployment, and it was felt hardest in places like Whitechapel, the setting for the Jack the Ripper murders. Life became a daily battle for survival, according to Richard Jones in his book The Jack the Ripper Casebook. Drunkenness, violence, and sexual abuse were common occurrences in London's worst slums. Add to it darkened streets and lower police presence, and you have a recipe for a serial killer. Oh, that's so gloomy. (laughs) Well, it kind of is, and it kind of sets up that conversation about atmosphere and miniature painting and such along those lines. While it was a terrible place to live, it certainly is an interesting way to create a diorama, especially if you think about things like uh, if you've ever heard the phrase by the gaslight or things along those lines, that is from that time period because the lights were made, you know, were used fuel, fueled by natural gas, etc. And let's just say they did not provide the largest or best amount of light, lighting for anything. Yes. Yeah, so, so yes, as hobbyists, we do see that and it's it does transcend the conversation but sets the scene especially when you're looking at that kind of thing where you want to try to portray that and we do translate that into our art you know one of the things also with it is like a good osl is one of those things that's considered the pinnacle of our skill sets right if you can master kind of the way light a direct light source bounces off of something then you're at a you're, it opens the doorway to telling a story giving an atmosphere to a miniature etc and it's something that that every miniature painter i believe should strive to paint because you know things are so different under different light settings and world like the the world of object source lighting teaches you not just how that light itself reflects off but kind of how to paint it and how colors interact with each other and interact with light etc you know it's interesting. One of the things I always think about is the scene where, and if you are have not, this is a spoiler alert. This is a Game of Thrones reference to the last season of Game of Thrones. So if you're not if you if you're not caught up on it, you need to plug your ears or skip ahead fifteen seconds. But 
the scene where Arya kills the Night King, he's purple. There is no blue in him whatsoever. But all the other pictures, you know, and that's just because of the lighting and the situation, etc. And I always, that scene always struck me because I know that he's like an ice blue color, but there was no ice blue whatsoever. And, and I always think about that when I think about how light interacts and how darkness interacts with colors. Yeah. And if you watch some, you know, old shows or if you're looking at uh, some TV specials, especially about Jack the Ripper and, and that whole mythos there, um, it's always really, really dark. And the only thing you can see are the the oil lamps that are lit or you see the bobby that's running around, you know, blowing his whistle or something. And if there is some action, you don't see anything at all. You might see some shadows. You might see some reflections. But that's all you see. And that's that dreary atmosphere, which is actually pretty cool. It, um, you know, it does tell a story. And when you do that with your miniatures, especially with big dioramas, you're telling that story. And it takes a little, you know, well, for me, it would take an awful lot of skill and many decades of practice to try to get that down. But, hey, that's why we're here. Right. Exactly. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is back in earlier episodes, episode three, uh, the lighting and the atmosphere of Michael Proctor's diorama was kind of had that same feel. You know, it was dark in parts and lighter in the areas, like kind of uh, helps draw your eyes to certain places, etc. So that was... That's always one diorama that I look at for inspiration. It actually does kind of have a Jack the Ripper 1888 feel to the way this thing is set up and the way it, look, the way it actually looks. But um, let me do a little bit more on Jack the Ripper just because of how much I love the time period. Not the Jack the Ripper because, you know, he's a murderer. Um, but kind of let's do can we do let's do the who were the five main suspects. And I want to see get your opinion if you don't mind uh yeah go right ahead all right so one of the main suspects we have is montague john druitt you know he was an oxford educated person he seemed to be a fairly good family man but he was also deemed to be sexually insane you know like you are if you're a serial killer right um and so and also he actually committed suicide in november of 1888 which would coincide with the timing of the end of jack the ripper's reign too uh so that was pretty interesting um i thought another one another famous one is triple h but not the wwf triple a or wwe triple h but uh hh holmes from the united states or many there was a, a a lot of people who thought that he the guy who created the murder house was also Jack the Ripper. Um, now, the most recent DNA one that's come up. So scientists had collected some form of DNA on a scarf, and they believe that that DNA matches the heritage of Aaron Kosminski, uh, which was uh, he was actually one of the main Ripper suspects at the time. I believe he was also known as Leather Apron because um, he was a butcher he had a bloody leather apron. So if he were to kill somebody and walk around with a bloody apron, if people wouldn't be a suspect, suspect him of anything because he was a butcher. So he would have a bloody apron. So, but now they're saying that they found this DNA on the scarf and they did tests on it and mitochondrial stuff. But there's a lot of debate about mitochondrial DNA. Can it actually pinpoint somebody or can mitochondrial DNA only uh, exclude people, etc.? You know. Who knows, right? I think we're never going to solve this. And the last one I'll talk about is Walter Sickert. Now, this one, 
was kind of a bit of a controversial one because it, this is the, the suspect that Patricia Cornwall, who's a famous crime novelist, she believed he was the killer. Um, and in the process of doing her investigation, she purchased a Sickert painting. He's a, Walter Sickert was a painter from the time period. And um, one of the things that made her very suspicious was that he has several paintings depicting the Jack the Ripper murderers that are somewhat accurate to the crimes and may she believed to have information about the crimes in the pictures that weren't released to the public. I, I don't know how she could possibly know that, but hey, it is what it is. So she bought a painting and because artists at the, the those type of canvas artists and stuff used whatever they had in their means, there was a belief that there was some form of DNA in one of his paintings. And so they did find some DNA, ran the mitochondrial test, and she believes that that result was conclusive that it would be Walter Sickert as the killer. Again, it runs into the same problems as the Kaminsky ones because it's mitochondrial DNA, but also Sickert has their issues to whether or not Sickert could have been the killer because of his location, et cetera, things along those lines. You know, where back in those days, they didn't have like Facebook check-ins. And so it couldn't be like, hey, in the East End of London, hooking up with somebody, you know, <laughs> or selfies with the victims, or et cetera. So none of that technology was in, available. So was there ever a suspect that you read about? Because I know you were uh, you're uh, interested in this this time period, too. Was there ever a suspect that stood out to you? Oh, you know, I really do like the idea of H.H. Holmes. I know that, well, I don't know, but I don't suspect that he actually is Jack the Ripper. But I do like the 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 theory surrounding it because he was a pretty miserable person here in the states and you know they they have some time correlations and that sort but it's kind of neat um i believe it's prince albert and it can because uh well there's 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 a couple reasons and you know we know that the royal family will do what they can to save their uh, their family name i'm not going to say epstein killed himself but you know what i'm talking about i don't think there was a jack the ripper I think these are there are a few of these murders that are connected, but I think that Jack the Ripper was solely a creation of the London media, and they were writing the letters. They were, you know, and I even think one of the people writing the letters committed a crime in order to keep the stories going, because that's what that place was like in the 1880s. Was that it was just it, it, they were sensationalism and journalism. Uh, I'm not sure if it would be, I don't know if technically it would be classified as yellow journalism or if that was just a U.S. phenomenon, but it was certainly, um, if you thought the Weekly World News was bad now, back in those days, the, the, the National Enquirer and such have got nothing on those newspapers, and they were just manufacturing stories. Jack the Ripper had a nice ring to it, you know, I don't know, it just doesn't, there's just no link, and you know, here's one of my biggest ones for it. So one of the murder victims, there was an anti-Semitic phrase written on the wall above her. And if that criminal, if the murderer did that, then that just completely blows any form of MO, right? There's no, if only one victim had some right anti-Semitic writing on the wall, I think that kind of destroys a lot of the MO and like uniformity there's all those differences in the cases i think there were probably some of the murders were committed by the same person but i don't think that jack the ripper killed five individuals well maybe i guess in a sense the media creation 
kind of did it, it, that that concept of a jack the ripper was an overarching boogeyman as opposed to i think a real life person but that's pretty be bold <laughs> that's a bold statement man but you know and that's that's where we run into the issue with it right is that the crime happened so long ago police technologies were so bad back in the day i mean they washed crime scenes before their crime scene investigators got there and so there's just no way to, I can't even imagine absent time travel, there actually being a way to solve this crime. You know what I mean? And so I think that all, most of the evidence out there, old, degraded, interpreted, reviewed, all that stuff by now has degraded and been embellished upon. And so they can't even guarantee that the scarf that they did the mitochondrial DNA test from was from a Jack the Ripper crime scene. You know, but a guy spent a ton of money buying the scarf in order to do the test. So, and, you know, Patricia Cornwall, how much money she spent, I, I don't remember what the dollar amount she spent on the Walter Sickert painting, but I'm sure that was at least a couple hundred thousand dollars, if not more. So, you know, money talks in these situations and, you know, a DNA person probably isn't going to come back and give a bad answer to somebody who just dropped a couple hundred grand on, on, on a DNA test. You know what I mean? So, but that's just the way I am. But anyways, we can do a bit of a tie in now. Cause this is actually where one of the reasons why I'm going to do this is because it is uh, August 31st is when this episode comes out. And that was when the first victim was found. And both of us being horror buffs and fans of kind of this genre of such of stuff, excuse me, um, is a perfect opportunity to talk about anything from dioramas to styles and techniques of painting to also miniatures and board games. And I was going to list out, if you're okay with that, a few of the, board, the major board games that are out there that feature Jack the Ripper. Sure, as long as they tell me who did it. I don't know if they ever will tell you who did it. Um, the first kind of the big one out there, which is a recent game by Fantasy Flight Games, is called Letters from Whitechapel. Now, I actually have not. I just purchased this book, this game from Miniature Market. I have not received it yet. I'll probably do a review of it later down the road. But uh, it is not a miniatures board game unless you buy the expansion pack. You will get miniature. The expansion pack has miniatures for the first game. So, of course, I had to buy the expansion pack as well. And so I'll definitely let people know. But basically the concept, like all of the concepts of these games, is one person plays as Jack the Ripper and the other players try to catch them and stop them from... Um, it's a turn-based turn-based game. Seems very cool. I've watched a few videos on how to play it online, so I'm definitely looking forward to playing it. Another one is from back in 1983, which is just called Jack the Ripper, the board game. And that's the same same exact concept. And so a lot of these have the same concept of it, that somebody plays as Jack the Ripper and it's the goal of the other players that it's kind of a one versus a co-op where they try to collaborate and stop Jack from killing again. Now, one of my favorite things, and I've, I've read so many different variations of stories kind of like this, because there's also some fan fiction out there about it, but there are a lot of people who have written stories about Sherlock Holmes trying to find Jack the Ripper, which is a fantastic idea. Um, also, I believe it fits into my narrative that Jack the Ripper is fiction, but that's besides the point. I think the murders happened. 
but I don't think it was Jack. Didn't Nicholson. they do a Anyways. movie? In there a movie about that somewhere? Yeah, I mean, there's se- there's several of them uh, movies about him about uh, about Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. Oh, okay. um, there's also there's a board game by Asmodee called Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, Jack the Ripper and the West End Adventure East End Adventures. Um, that I don't know that I've been trying to find more information out about that game, but there hasn't been a ton that came up because um, yeah, because Jack the Ripper running around killing women is an adventure. Yeah, I wouldn't consider it an adventure. Either, right? <laughs> All right, <laughs> it's kind of messed up, and that's what I, that's one of the things I wanted to be careful about with this episode because I didn't want to celebrate Jack the Ripper because you know if Jack the Ripper was real, he was a murdering bastard, you know, and you know may he rot in hell, um, where his one of his letters is from, but and the name of a movie, I believe. <laughs> Uh, so that's what I, I want. I didn't want to focus on that aspect of it. You know, I'd rather celebrate the lives of the victims or say, hey, the victims are cool. And, you know, this guy sucked. Um, anyways, uh, miniatures wise, actually, I was quite surprised at how many miniatures are out there of Jack the Ripper. And these are just a few off the top of my head. Scale 75 and Heroes and Villains. Uh, Scale 75 has their historical time period uh, time period miniatures, and they have a 75mm Jack the Ripper. Heroes and Villains has an amazing Jack the Ripper bust. Very spooky. Doesn't look like it has an identity. A lot of these busts um, come with their face covered. Mythical World Miniatures has a Jack the Ripper bust, but they kind of take a demonic uh, approach to him where he's like kind of turning into a demon as he's getting ready to kill. Reaper has one sculpted by Gene Van Horn. The company Realms of Terror has one for its miniature game called West Wind. And North Star Steampunk has one. I mean, we can go on forever and ever. And I believe there's a new board game called Ascension coming out call of which where you can play as Jack the Ripper as you try to get out of Dante's Rings of Hell. So... There's a lot going on there. So talk to me a little bit. You you had one had like one of the reasons you're really well, interested in this stuff is because of the macabre. So yeah, well, let me it let does, you segue into that. Yeah, so with um, with Jack the Ripper and being in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, it starts to you know and and having that uh, the mythos and the mysterious about uh, you know and the mystery of uh, Jack the Ripper. To, to me started to bring about the ideas of or the the theory or fact of uh, the Cthulhu mythos that's out there and that kind of brings to me kind of the same same kind of ideas when it comes to art um, you were talking about lots of different miniatures I'm not even going to get into the mythos at all that's another 500 episode series so if you're curious it's c-t-h-u-l-h-u and that will uh, put you on another path out there and in the interwebs for all of our listener um but uh there's it actually the idea of it does have some really cool ideas for games so the lovecraftian um ideas um and his mythos and his writings do do bring about some really cool sci-fi fantasy horror games so my list is not nearly as detailed as yours mike but there are a lot of really cool games out there and lots of companies that produce figures now in my searching and i uh, 
uh, through 3D printing, there happens to be a, a surge in this because, you know, I guess licensing, if there is even a licensing issue with, uh, with Lovecraftian stuff for, but people are able to get and sculpt 3D art and you're able to print those. And that's really big. But there are still some companies out there that, that do produce or did produce uh, miniatures for this game. Uh, let's see. Oh, rumor has it that GW did some long time ago. Probably can find one or two of them out there. But they also did like fantasy westerns and they did Lord of the Rings and some other things. So back in the early 80s, mid 80s, uh, you know, they were reaching out like they are nowadays with uh, licensing agreements and, and that sort, which is kind of cool. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games has a couple of things, some tie-ins here and there. Black Cat Basics does some stuff. Um, Reaper Miniatures, you know, they always have some really cool ideas and some um, some sculpts. And uh, you can always find some uh, Cthulhu-based or the um, uh, Lovecraftian pulp-ish type of figures in there um oh my gosh so much stuff scribber which i really like whiz kids games did some stuff uh north star did some also they have a um uh the horror range uh and it looks like they had a dracula, a dracula game too so yeah you can have cthulhu and you can have dracula and you can have jack the ripper and i'm pretty sure that jack the ripper and dracula had some crossover somewhere in a comic book or a movie somewhere Oh, good Lord, I'm positive, yeah. Yeah, it's got to. Um, Etsy, you can find some really cool stuff, too. So if you're looking to uh, do, um, I don't know, you want a scarf or something or socks, sweater, let's <laughs> go through stuff on it, or stuff critter. Uh, there's a lot of those in there, too. Um, uh, another thing is I found a lot recently is um, crowdfunding. So there's lots of games which we have seen throughout the, the years of games being created through kickstarter so there's quite a few of those also deep madness is one uh the ancient evils another one um cthulhu let's see hp lovecraft the dreams in the witch house miniatures set looks kind of cool it's got some neat stuff in there so you go into kickstarter you support them they'll either send you you know with all these um the either the figures that are already produced or they will send you your 3d uh, STLs, so you can print those all yourself, and you can have a whole army of Cthulhu stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm gonna just end there because uh, um, I'm just not nearly as prepared as Mike is, and uh, with the Cthulhu stuff, with because I didn't want to go into it too deep because, well, I want to talk about painting, and I don't want to talk about well figures of things. <laughs> Well, We're now, okay. <laughs> there are two you're missing. The two two that, that, that you're definitely missing. One is the Mythical World Miniatures and Hammerlock Games, same company. Uh, they're both that, that company produces Chihulu stuff on Kickstarter all the time. The second thing is the the Simon game, Chihulu Death May Die, with the like what the 13 inch tall, like you, you like. The first X yeah. amount of backers had available to get that huge Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Reaper. You're right about the Reaper. Reaper has an enormous Cthulhu as well. Which, well, uh, I guess 
like I said, I didn't want to tell all of them out there. If people are interested, all you have to do is type it in, do a search, and you'll find all kinds of really, really cool stuff, at least the figures themselves, and being able to use those figures in your tabletop gaming, even being specifically for those games, like um, Death May Die, or any other game. And, you know, you just not, want people to go down the rabbit hole. Go down the rabbit hole, people. <laughs> I've, been, I, I've been swimming in the rabbit hole the bottoms of the rabbit hole for all kinds of things in the last week it's your turn <laughs> look up strange things <laughs> but you do have to take lovecraft lovecraftian lore with a grain of salt and i think a lot of people kind of forget about this when they talk about cthulhu and stuff no like that, we don't want to go down that route no we gotta we have to i, don't I, know, I feel like, I, just as a mention and that's it okay that, I, I promise this is all i'll say that let's just say Lovecraft is known for being racially insensitive and we can move on for there. But as long as people know that you whatever you decide to read on your own or go, go down the rabbit hole, that's your choice. But I feel like that, you know, even, and it, it's an interesting thing because when I was a member of the horror writers association of America, we had a large group get together and we talked about kind of, you know, the, you know, the influences in horror and the direction it is. And, you know, it's, it's background information that you should have because it does change the way that necessarily you read read it. At least you go into that understanding. Does that mean people who play Chitulu games ignore that? No, I don't think that at all. That's not what we're saying. But it's just it's the more you know, the better informed you are. That's fine. I will move on and mention nothing else about it. <laughs> Except I do want to paint one of those massive Reaper Chitulus. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Why not paint them? And you can put some, you know, I don't know. Oh, I saw them there somewhere. <laughs> right. Well, here, here's the thing that I, that, that now I've read, you know, kind of reading as, as a, somebody who wanted to be a horror writer and kind of still dabbles with writing. It's almost like a rite of passage to read Lovecraft. But here, here's the thing. I don't always feel like when I look at these variations and uh, these Cthulhu's out there, that these really match. Like, I feel like there's a lot of liberty taken with what Cthulhu looks like versus what Cthulhu is in the actual books. And so it's interesting to me the the whole squid and octopus head thing. Yeah, I, I get that. But kind of the rest of the way the body is and such. I, I don't know. I'm not 100% on board with it. But you know what? If it makes people happy, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, so, so we have these, I think, very, very fringe kind of games, um, and ideas. I mean, I guess we could probably throw, well, I wouldn't say, um, what is it? Vampire Masquerade. I don't think we would throw that one in there as, as, as a far fringe game and stuff, but there are, the, these are out there. I mean, you have to kind of be looking for those. You're already into it. You don't just start off playing Jack the Ripper kind of video, uh, type of uh, board games or um, Lovecraftian stuff but are there any that you can think of that kind of use that mythos and kind of use those ideas that are a little bit more central and are available to regular gamers um well i, I don't know if they're the mythos per se but they're in the certainly the same within uh, the same universe yeah i mean you could call them boutique style horror games okay like like uh i would say malifaux Okay, would that's be a, a good, good one. place. Yeah, you know, and if you if you if you like your 
macabre horror mixed with uh, Japanese hentai, then Kingdom Death would be a good place to go. <laughs> Those are the two main ones that I can think of as far as horror genre go. And I like Malifaux. And Malifaux is a very interesting operating system. The miniatures are gorgeous, but they make me want to break things when I try to put them together because they are so fiddly. <laughs> yeah. True, but, true, uh, tw- two tw- uh, or true 28 millimeter children is pretty darn painful to put together. Well, and you got to look up the instructions because they don't come with instructions. And there are things like these thorn, these, this thorn brother and sister that I bought that have all these vines. Like I cannot this day figure out even with the download and instruction, which vine connects to what vine and how it's supposed to look. And I mean, mine looked like a third grader put them together. And actually a third, that's a shame because a third (laughs) grader probably would put them better together better than I did, you know? (laughs) But they do have some, like, if you can get them together, they do make gorgeous miniatures. They are, they are a lot of fun to paint once they're actually together. I know, like, I have one that's based off of the John Henry lore called Neil Henry, and I enjoyed the hell out of painting that miniature. You know, it's kind of a, you know, 35 cents a day for driving steel, but um, it was a, a great miniature. That one was an easy one to put together, but everything else I put, one of the sets I got was in translucent plastic and my, with my eyeballs. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to spray paint these. I'm going to have to prime these on sprue just so I can see what that, that is on an arm, a leg. Is that somebody's tongue? Because it could very well be a tongue in Malifaux or in Kingdom Death. So, yeah. But But it's also. uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say it's a, Malifaux is interesting. And if you're, if you're tired of bored or bored of kind of just rolling dice. Malifaux uses playing cards as the mechanic for the game. And so it's very different, a different feel to it than, let's say, a shoot 'em up, bang up game, per se. Now, it's still, it's still a combat game, etc. But uh, I, I really found that, that mechanic neat when I, I did a demo game last year at the Nova Open with, with somebody who was in the finals of the, uh, of the Malifaux tournament. So that was pretty cool. Hey, you know, we're, we're through the kind of the, the Jack the Ripper, the Chulu Madness. What do you got working on your table right now? What are you working on? Well, uh, let's see. I'm still painting my um, Indominus guys. Still. I still have 12 uh, Sisters of Battlehead sitting in, in a jar on my desk. So I'm still staring at them, not doing a whole lot with them. Um, now, let at, me ask. Is that yes? kind of like... Do you have that jar set up kind of like the governor and the walking dead where you have those jars ahead? Are they each in their individual head floating in liquid in jar floating in liquid? They're in a jar to remind me that someday I need to paint them. <laughs> well, that's nowhere near as interesting. They need no. each need an individual jar. <laughs> well, they're pretty small because they're true 28 millimeter. <laughs> pretty smart jaws, jars. Um, uh, of course, I have my battle tech stuff that is sitting around waiting for me to, uh, to paint them so that uh, they can go out to the field of battle and uh, blow each other up. And uh, so table-wise, that's pretty much it. I've been a slowdown recently because I haven't been feeling very well. It's not the COVID thing. It's just lots of work stuff going on, lots of uh, bugs and germs besides COVID. Uh, So I've been a little off. Um, So I haven't been doing a whole lot of painting, but uh, I have been doing some research and taking notes on certain things, getting back into my music. Um, which means no, no money for paints and figures, but uh, a little bit more money for my uh, record collection and uh, some 
Wi-Fi um, or hi-fi um, music stuff. So that's kind of it. Now, I did uh, receive, surprisingly, a uh, Kickstarter uh, box from months ago from Game Envy, and it's their Desk Wizard. So I got the 10 and the 14. Don't know what those mean. Probably the number of holes, but I never really counted them. Uh, you put them together. It's black uh, um, acrylic. Pretty cool. You can get multiple colors, different kinds of colors. Um, I set mine up. It took me about a half an hour. And I'm actually pretty pretty excited about it. Um, the holes are, are um, a generic size, so you can put your GW stuff. You can put uh, Vallejo drop bottles in. You can put some larger bottles in there, some that you would buy like uh, Cracker Cracker Barrel. Yeah, Cracker Barrel paints, uh, Apple paints, and the the barrel, whatever those Apple Barrel paints or whatever they're called, the craft paints. I think those might fit in there also. Um, that's impressive. That's impressive. I, that 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 was a fast turnaround. It was very very fast. I think they had the designs pretty much ready to go. Um, they just wanted to, uh, to to get them out, but they were pretty cool. Um, they have lots of holes for paint brushes, which I think is awesome. You can use them right side up or upside down. You can use your um, your dropper bottles. Um, so there's lots of um, holes where you can put paintbrushes for paintbrush holders, which are pretty cool. Uh, there's a stand where I can put my tablet, which is definitely really awesome. Uh, I can also use uh, my additional stand for, um, you can put them on the walls and things like that. It, it's a neat piece. Um, is it something that I would use like forever? I'm not sure. I did replace something that I had with the new um, Desk Wizard. Um, just because it helped organize things and it, you know, I use black and orange cause those are my favorite colors. So it matches my, um, uh, red glass, uh, red grass, um, wet thing palette. that put water. Yeah. Wet, <laughs> wet palette. <laughs> yes. I'm a, a lack of, of words. So this we're is, almost uh, there, man. We're at the I know, finish line. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to cut this stuff up or if I should just start over again. Um, um, so, yeah, that's about it. I'm waiting for a couple other things to come in uh, Kickstarter-wise. But, um, yeah, it's been kind of slow on the hobby side of things just because work is picking up, school's picking up for most of us in the country. Um, and, um, you know, people's going batty and crazy out there. So what about you, Mike? What you got going on? I'm gonna I'm gonna go in reverse order to piggyback off of your Kickstarter. Uh, I received a package too for a Kickstarter for Tego Miniatures, the Secubus. Um, I was actually surprised at how like I got a shipping notice like last week, and then boom, it came the following week, which is unusual because it, it was from Italy. Usually, when it was from stuff from Europe, it takes two to two to four weeks to, to get here once it's been shipped. Uh, mm. And so that was pretty cool. I got the gaming size. It came, I bought a paint set and some paint brushes and a couple other little add on things. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because I'm going to do a review of it. Um, I will say uh, it is an impressive miniature and I wish I got the bigger version, but that's okay. You know, such as life, it's what budgets dictate, etc. But I'll, I'll definitely, we'll have a review out of this, uh, the following week, uh, so that way people can hear hear about it. And it's uh, Tago Collectibles used to be Kabuki, 
Um, I got I did one of theirs also in the past for Lady Mechanicus and Tesla, which I absolutely love. And one of these days, I swear to God, I'll paint it. But you know, anyways, I've always enjoyed their miniatures. They've done a good job with them, so I was excited to receive that. Um, now I have kind of ventured like acquisition wise. Um, I typically order paint brushes. Like when I order Rosemary and Company paint brushes, I order through Wind River Arts, which is a U.S. based, actually the only real U.S. based distributor of Rosemary and Company brushes. And I accidentally ordered a Series Eight size three the last time I ordered, and it was fantastic. And I actually was like, "Wow, this is a great accident." So I ordered this time. I called back and I ordered a zero one, uh, one and a two of them, loving them. If you are a Raphael fan, this is a pretty good substitute for a Raphael 8404s. Um, they are not as uh, they're not as stiff as like a, as a Bombwick Igniter or a Windsor Newton Series Seven. They're more they have the fatter belly on them, a little bit of longer points on them. Uh, so I'm actually been very pleased with them. But while I was on the phone with them, he can the owner convinced me to also try the. Rosemary and Company Series 22, which is even a little bit of a longer point on it. And I've got to tell you, I did eyes on a miniature with this, and it's the first time I've ever done, and this is a size 2 brush, I've ever done eyes the first time, both eyes, one shot, had paint, didn't have to go, oh crap, the paint's already dried, let me press a little harder, oh, I just filled the entire eyeball with black. Um, so, <laughs> it was nice, because it's got a fatter belly on it, it held the paint wet. It held the paint wetter than it normally. I don't even know if that's the wet way to say. The paint stayed wet a little bit longer than it normally does. So I appreciated that. So if you if you've tried the series thirty three Rosemary and Company brushes, uh, I would strongly suggest trying the series eight and the twenty two. So those are wonderful as well. Um, so that's kind of acquisition wise what I've gotten. I've gotten a few paints here and there, but nothing. Besides the Green Stuff World paints that came with the Succubus set, which we'll talk about at a later date. Um, I have decided to buy, bite the bullet, try non-metallic, like commit to non-metallic metal and doing freehand on a miniature. I'm painting a Sequitur Prime from the Pushfit Models um, GW box set. And it's actually going a hell of a lot better than I ever imagined it would. Now, I've tried NMM in the past. And I've given up after like trying one plate of armor and I kind of like, ah, give up painting it over with metallic paints. This time was my first, and we'll post pictures of it where it is. It's not completed, but the first time I've ever committed to, I'm not going to do anything else until this miniature is done. And I've painted all the NMM and I'm not giving up. I'm not Even no matter what it looks like, I'm not giving up. So you've seen it. I think it's turning out okay. The freehand is turning out even better than I ever imagined it would. Um, basically, I've, I've shaved off the shield. The shield of this model came with pre, uh, pre-designed on it. And so in order to do the freehand on the shield, I sanded that all off to make it flat and painted my own design on the shield. So um, that stuff has been coming along really, really well. That's the main focus. Um, I'm also working on a side project. Dutch Adams, who owns um, Crimson Fields Gaming, asked me to... He had bought his wife a Haggard and Fang, and he asked me to paint them for him. Uh, in exchange, he's hooked me up hooked up, hooked me up with some Indominus miniatures. So 
that's that's another project I'm working on. I'm not posting pictures of that because I want it to be a surprise for him when he sees it. So, uh, but that's kind of what's on my table. I've uh, been enjoying. Actually, I, I have painted every day for the last two weeks for at least an hour. So I've been I haven't done that in a long time, and it feels really good. And I actually can feel like each time I pick up the paintbrush, I'm a little bit better. You know, not a lot, but a little bit. And I'm I'm there with you. For the last two weeks, I've thought about painting, but I haven't <laughs> I haven't touched anything. Oh uh, man! But I have been during this quarantine. I have been terrible about picking up a paintbrush i've done everything but for most of the time like oh let me see about cleaning up all these miniatures instead of doing that oh let me organize my painting area oh let me read do some research oh let me do this let me do that oh there's a video game with my name on it oh i can go to bed early <laughs> oh i want to watch this new tv show and it's just not i have i've done everything but paint so except for like the last two weeks where i've seriously kind of committed to painting and damn, it feels good. It's, you know, there's been a few times I had to force myself, like two nights ago, I said, I'm putting the timer on for one hour. Pick up a paintbrush. You got your wet, your palette's ready to go. Just go and paint. And so inevitably I had to get up and realize that I didn't have water to rinse my brush out, you know. Good <laughs> job. Paint, you know, That's but hey, you, you know, I the brushes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> keep them, uh, keep them clean via tongue. Um, yay. <laughs> Let's all eat paint. But, uh, that's kind of, that's really what's going on in, in my world. I am, you know, I, I, one of the first resin miniatures I ever bought was called the puppeteer from Mindwork games. Uh, I love, you know, like we've already talked about about loving horror, but I love creepy stuff. And this dude is totally creepy and they are just releasing an updated version of it. That is just absolutely insanely epic. And so, yeah, I had to purchase that as well. Um, and so I'm actually going to do the puppet, the original puppeteer as a, my wife wants me to paint a miniature from one of my nieces and she likes creepy horror stuff. And so I'm going to paint her the original puppeteer for this Christmas and then um, go from there and see if that inspires me to do this, the bigger one. The bigger one is like an 80 millimeter with, it's got like six figures total with it. It's a whole diorama setup, which is just mind-blowingly amazing hey well you know if this listening to paint dry podcast doesn't take off maybe we'll just do some like horror stuff or something <laughs> i would be good with having a horror podcast a horror Absolute. painting contest today we're going to talk about how to put blood splatter on the wall correctly <laughs> according to the tv show according to the tv show dexter <laughs> blood splatter should do this you know yeah because that's where that's a reference right you go to the you go to watch dexter the tv show and you learn all about how blood spray is because that's what his job was right he was a blood splatter ex- expert for miami police if your space marine has got a chain axe in an orc's head what color purple do you use for the blood I don't know. Someone's going to say that Space Marines don't use Chains Axes. I, I, I got it. Chains Ord instead. Chaos Space Marine uses a Chain Axe. Well, maybe the Space Marine picked up in the heat of battle, picked up the Chain Axe because he needed a weapon. That's heresy. Would it be heresy? Yes. Okay. So they would just rather die than... Unless he's a any. Dark Angel and then just no one knows. Right. Nobody would know, right? <laughs> 
That's a shout out or, to all you Dark Angel players out there. It could also be somebody from the Blood Angels Death Company that just doesn't give a crap anymore and is on, in, in dying throws killing things, so grabbing anything in their pathway. Uh, possibly, uh, possibly. They're more likely to just bite your head off, I guess, instead of <laughs> chainsaw your head. <laughs> so, Next on, listening to people scream while you paint, right. Mike is going to describe the best way to paint blood splatter. And Dan's going to talk about different colored organs. Sounds like a hit show to me. <laughs> Can't do any worse yeah. than what we're doing right now, man. No, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they they say there's no that you know you can't go downhill. That's correct. There is we can only go uphill at this point. Right? That is right. So that's for you, you win listener. <laughs> you right. For our listener out there, I think it's Mike's. <laughs> It's Mike's wife. It's my wife won't listen to it. No, it ain't my wife. My <laughs> wife hasn't listened to a single podcast of it. They do all they do is make fun of me when I do the intro. Like if they've ever heard me do the intro, they like all like mock me as I'm doing it. You know. Yep. Um, and so it's I like kind a, of like. It, yeah, it, it's hard. It's harsh. Even my 11 year old gets in on it, and I'm like, "Come on, your daddy's a little girl. You can't, you can't gang, gang up on dad like that." <laughs> it's an Apple bot that just goes out and finds uh, podcasts that don't have any listeners, and it just automatically taps it so they have at least one. <laughs> well, no, I do know. I do know. We at least have four subscribers because. I I put it on all my like all my in laws phones <laughs> because you. <laughs> I was saying you paid them, but that's even better. <laughs> no, no, no. They're like you know, my father in law was like, "Hey, let me, let me. I want to do podcasts," and I'm like, "Okay, I'll help you." And of course, I subscribed, download, liked, and wrote a review for us. But <laughs> <laughs> and then my mother in law wanted it too, and then my brother in law and sister in law. I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna keep keep giving me phones. I'll keep adding. I'll keep adding our podcast. This is my favorite podcast from my <laughs> only son. <laughs> yeah, son in law. Son in law. Oh uh, yeah, son in law. Yeah. See, my, my my parents would have never owned smart devices. Like my dad fought it, wouldn't get like he he had mo, he had a flip phone when he passed and about four years ago, and that was it. He was not that was the highest technological upgrade he was going. Refused to get text, so I wouldn't have been able to get the podcast on there. So my mom never owned a cell phone, so you know, too funny. But if we could just get a way to push our podcast on beepers we might we might be all right that would be wonderful or pages beep 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 oh a new <laughs> new new episode would... from listening to paint driving mike and dan oh let me go run over to my computer and smartphone and download it yeah <laughs> there's several problems with that scenario i think that would only give us two more listeners because there might only be two people left with beepers left what oh my gosh my pager went off what how'd that happen hadn't gone yes, off in 10 it? years right exactly <laughs> oh my wife is no. going to be like what in the world are you guys talking about pagers and stuff oh. yeah exactly well on my PDA, which you know, back in the day, I thought it was public display of infection, but uh, of affection, but it's you know, personal. This what is it? PDA. What did it stand for? Personal device something. Now it, I can't. Is it? A I digital? just had it. 
personal digital. So, listener, personal digital assistant. Oh man, you figured it out. I was going to ask if they knew what it was, but (laughs) I I think you're right. Maybe personal digital assistant. Yeah, that lasted like a whole three minutes. Yeah. Yep. You're right, and uh, yeah, I remember somebody saying, "You want my PDA?" And I'm like, "What? What is that? <laughs> I I've got this gray triangular Motorola flip phone. Get your PDA away from me!" <laughs> All right. right. So, do we have anything else, or is that about it for us today? Uh, that's about it for us today. But I will say this: you know, if our listeners want to get in contact with it, or our, our listener wants to get in contact with us. It's listening to paint try at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook at listening to paint try, as well as on Twitter at dry painting. Well, it was kind of interesting that we broached the, uh, the horror genre and how that basically kind of sort of coincides with our art maybe we can go a little bit more detail next time but um maybe we should do something with the sci-fi world now besides maybe the maybe besides the big one i mean we don't really need to talk about gw and how 40k has pretty much dominated the sci-fi gaming and and atmospherics and themes and techniques and all that kind of stuff but maybe there's some other stuff out there that we could talk about there is so that it's such a ripe area for discussion. Absolutely, we should do sci-fi. We don't even have to talk about space marines or a- anything along those lines from 40k because there is such a rich amount of material out there um, in every scale of model from 28 millimeter all the way up to 120 millimeter models. You know, there's so much, and that's not even including the world of getting into vehicles and mod- like plastic model kits or Gundam and things along those lines. Yeah, huh, maybe we'll broach that next time around. Sounds like a plan. Cool. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, then we'll just go ahead and end this episode. So one last thing is uh, follow your dreams to be a better, braver, and happier painter. See ya. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPTWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.